There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. This week, it's all about how to develop a glassing plan and style that will allow you to gather the best intel possible. Now, it's, it's not enough to just spend time posted up on a hilltop glassing strips of ag in the hopes of building a sweet hit list. The reality here is that bucks, even lazy summertime bucks, don't really like to be visible. This is especially true if they're in pressured states or live on pressured ground. This means that you might have to treat your glassing sessions more like a rifle hunt so that you can get to where the deer are and get out without getting busted. This is one of my favorite summer scouting strategies. And I really think it's one of those things that separates the weekend warriors from the absolute killers. Hey folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast brought to you by First Light. This is episode number 10 and I am your host, Tony Peterson. Last week, we went big on the reasons for why you should try to find every opportunity to engage in some summertime glassing sessions. This week, it's all about how you get the most out of your time spent on the spotter. To do this, it pays to think about your glassing sessions like individual sits during a rifle hunt. And I know, I know this might seem weird, but stick with me on this. Now, before we get into that, unlike a rifle hunt, you should probably glass whenever you can. With hunting, you might try to wait out perfect conditions, but they might not come. But with glassing, it's just as valuable to see what comes out on a hot, miserable night as it is when a cold front has come through and it's perfect out. Throughout the summer, you should go when you can, regardless of the conditions. Take note of the conditions, but don't stay home because they aren't ideal. You'll want to think about where you go more than when you go and how you get there, and how you get out. So for starters, just like rifle hunters, long-range glassers need to be able to see. Actually, scratch that. They should want to be able to see. We all want to see when we're rifle hunting, when we're glassing. 
You can have excellent rifle hunts in the thick cover, of course, especially in seriously pressure ground. But in your heart, you know you want to be perched up in a tower blind overlooking as much open, shootable real estate as possible. With glassing, the same rules apply. Vantage points are huge, as is your positioning in relation to the deer. Or more simply, how far you will be from the likeliest deer activity. This is where things get tricky due to terrain and individuality of a situation. Some hunters do have a nice hill that they can park on and glass the surrounding bottoms for bucks while not having to worry about a single deer getting spooked. Most of us aren't so lucky, so we are going to have to get into the weeds literally. While you might not need to be any closer than a couple hundred yards, just like a rifle hunt, you do need to think how you'll get in. You do need to think about how you'll get in, how you'll get out, and where the wind will be just like a rifle hunt. Getting in is usually the easy part. Most of the time, when you head out to glass in the evenings, you're betting on the deer not already being out. This means suiting up in camo, which you should absolutely do, then slipping into your glassing point. Now that might be a, I don't know, a knob over a river bottom. It might just be like a grassy waterway and a vast network of row crops. But no matter what, think about how you'll get in there with the current conditions the way they are, especially the wind. Sometimes, at least if you don't want to spook any deer, this isn't all that easy, actually. I ran into this way back in 2011 when I stumbled across a legitimate booner living on public land in the Twin Cities. That buck had two buddies with him that were great deer, and together that trio frequented a winter rye field on a piece of county land. The problem with the field was that if you walked into it through the most direct route, you'd let those bucks know you were going in every single time. To really glass it effectively, I had to make a huge circle through the nettles and the swamps to get on the backside of the field. Then it was a matter of holing up and tucking in because the terrain didn't allow for visibility from too far away. I had to get pretty close. The first time I went in there, I saw all the bucks. And after that, it was hit or miss. It was also a giant pain in the ass, but I wanted to preserve their movement as much as possible. It was also really, really exciting sneaking in to watch a spot that held one of the biggest bucks I've ever hunted anywhere, living in a place he absolutely shouldn't have been living. And here's a spoiler alert, guys. I didn't kill him. He vanished on me. So maybe my long-range glassing strategy didn't work very well. I don't know. I do know that I arrowed his buddy, a great nine-pointer that was big enough for a call of taxidermist, which is an awesome consolation prize, totally beside the point as well, but still proof that glassing effectively in the right situation and putting in some work can get you in a position to kill good bucks. But now back to the strategy. Just because you've got yourself into a sweet spot doesn't mean you can get out without spooking deer. This is a big problem because it's easy to wander in a bit too close to see what you want to see and then suddenly realize you got no exit strategy. Sometimes you've got to take a different route to get out and sometimes you've got to bail early. I ran into this scenario in north central Minnesota years ago while summer scouting. The deer were using a secluded hay field. They'd often come out of this cattail slough where they bedded. They'd hit this little pond, grab some water, and then they'd come out in the far corner. But to see the field, I had to get within 400 yards of where the deer would pop out. And they'd start out at the far side, but would always head in my direction, angling toward the neighbor's farm. 
That meant if they got past me, I would have to bust them on the way out. There was no way around it. What made that worse was that the bucks were usually last to show like they often are. That meant there were times where I'd see the bucks for a few minutes and then have to leave as soon as it started to get good because some does or little bucks were closing the distance. Again, it wasn't ideal, but it did put me in a position to kill a Pope and young buck a week into that season. And that was a deer I had watched many, many times. Now, I keep telling you about these deer I've killed so you guys know how awesome I am. But I'm not telling you about how many deer I've spooked while scouting, which is why I've got such a militant plan on how to glass. The answer is a lot. I've cost myself so many deer by getting greedy in the summer and just wanting to see them closer or more often than I really needed to. This part is hard and it takes a lot of mistakes to just resign yourself to a little bit less fun, but a more productive style of glassing. For someone like me with the not a whole lot of self-control and who really loves to glass, this is a hard lesson to learn and a harder path to stick to. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription. And you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So... On hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. And use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash MEATEATER. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do. On the same grill, you can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This this is my way of bull saying, if I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor, direct flame cooking, Create searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. The idea that you can push it a little because there are weeks before the season is easy to believe, but it's a temptation best ignored. 
This goes for public land and private land, because in so many situations, there's only one person who you can control pressure-wise, yourself. Even if 23 other hunters will check the spot you like on public land throughout the summer, the only one that you can control is you. It's the best you can do. So take this part seriously, because long-range glassing with a rifle hunter's mentality will reveal the obvious things to you, like who is feeding where and at what time, but will also help you see patterns in deer movement. Like if they spend their whole time in the shady side of a certain field before the sun fully sets, or if randomly the whole bachelor group you're looking for shows up somewhere unexpected. Those consistent habits, as well as the anomalies, are important. And for the latter category, they probably really aren't actually anomalies. They probably represent some behavior in the bucks that you just don't expect. The more of that behavior you see, which challenges your worldview, the better you'll become as a deer hunter. Believe me on that one. So ask yourself, why are the deer doing something you didn't expect? Is there some patch of cover that you've always ignored because it's too small or too close to the farmyard? Is it such that on the right wind, when the bugs are seriously annoying, that the bucks pick the grassy swale to bed in? Or maybe they are there because a few hunters have been poking around in their usual haunts? There are accidents and one-off events in nature, I'm sure. But buck behavior doesn't fall into either category very often. How many times have you heard about a 200-incher that some random hunter killed after seeing it standing in a place where deer just don't usually go? The lucky hunter walks in and sees a rub fest complete with all the telltale signs that a giant lives there, or at least spends a lot of time there, and on the first sit, they beg the deer version of a unicorn. That happens from random sightings, and it certainly happens when you're out there looking for a buck to reveal themselves. I'll never forget glassing a river bottom in North Dakota one morning to look for four bucks that I'd watched the night before. After like an hour and a half, I realized they were nowhere to be seen in the willows and the cottonwood patches close to the water. And for some reason, I just randomly turned around, pulled a 180, and scanned the brakes behind me where the mule deer tend to roam. That's when I picked up the four bucks just before they dropped into a steep drainage that does not in any way, shape, or form look like whitetail territory. And I know this because I've hiked in there many times and failed attempts to stalk mule deer. The bucks dropped in there and bedded down, which gave me enough intel to realize why they had crossed where they had crossed the night before. I went in there that afternoon and hung a stand, and I killed one of those bucks that evening as they left the drainage and trotted toward the river. Without a glassing plan, that velvet buck would have never worn my tag. He also brings up something that no one talks about, which is glassing in the morning. Out west on a river bottom, this is an absolute no-brainer because you can see so much. But does glassing in the morning make any sense, I don't know, in Pennsylvania or Illinois or South Carolina? That's a big old maybe. I've gone out in Minnesota on properties I know well many times to glass mornings. And it has mostly been a lost cause. The bucks have been off the fields by first light, and that meant that I was putting pressure on spots for very little gain. But in other places, with other scenarios, I've realized there is value to morning sessions. Watching CRP fields, for example, can be an amazing reason to set an early alarm. You might have another situation where the bucks leave the food and they filter through some kind of scattered cover which with the right glassing spot can reveal a whole new world when it comes to understanding the local deer and how they travel to their bedding areas. Now, a lot of people think that this is unnecessary because hunting deer in the mornings during the early season is a lost cause. I'm not one of them. These deer aren't robots that go back to bed before first light 
only to get up as the sun sets. They just don't work that way. And believing something like deer hunting in the morning is not worth it in the early season is generally a bad idea because it's self-limiting and probably not wholly applicable to your specific hunting situation. Morning glassing can sometimes help you make the decision that you've got an opportunity where other hunters will say it doesn't exist. If you don't want to make a big production out of it, a morning drive past your hunting grounds might just be enough. I do this occasionally, oftentimes when I'm getting up early to go brook trout fishing in northern Wisconsin. There are very few fields near the public land where I hunt, but I can alter my route to some of my favorite streams to take a look at them, and they almost always feature a few deer or bears in the early morning. I like seeing both, and occasionally I'll see a buck or a bachelor group in a spot that causes a cartoon light bulb to turn on over my head. This is because every deer sighting, or at least every sighting near where you can hunt, is a little gift. You learn something if you look to each encounter as if it's a teachable moment. That doe crossing the road in front of you as you drive out of the farm after an evening glassing session might not seem like a real big deal, but why is she there? Is there a trail there that you didn't know about, or a crossing, or a little bedding area in the middle of the field that you just haven't paid attention to? I'm convinced the reason little kids are awesome and us adults are tiresome, predictable bores is because kids are curious. They ask questions about the world because they want to know and they're not ashamed to question things. As we get older, that curiosity starts to wither on the vine and we accept that what we know is what we know. And unfortunately, often write about those things in all caps when we're arguing with strangers about dumb shit on social media. Kids have unfiltered curiosity because they are learning machines, even the dumb ones. We can take a lesson from that and ask questions about deer all the time, which is never easier to do than when the deer show us something we should be curious about. But how do we come to that point? By watching them. Get out there and think about your goal with glassing. Think about how you'll get in and out without spooking deer and what conditions will favor your chosen glassing spots. Pay attention to all of the clues that the whitetails give you and ask yourself, what is there to learn? I honestly feel that my public land whitetail success and certainly my private land success is closely tethered to a love of glassing and the willingness to engage in it whenever I can. Even if I'm not planning on hunting an early season pattern, the time spent glassing in August pays off in general buck knowledge that can't be gleaned any better way. So there's that. And there's this. Next week, it'll be time to consider one more stroll through the woods before you set your stands or you pick your most saddle-friendly trees. Well, that's it for this week, my long-range glassing friends. Be sure to check out next week's show so you can keep moving yourself in the right white-tailed direction. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you right here next week. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle.
Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.